0: You're listening to the Skylight Books Podcast. We're an independent general interest bookstore putting great reads in the hands of people in the Los Feliz neighborhood of Los Angeles. Hosted by resident Skylighters, we're here to bring you new and exciting author conversations, group reads, and bookseller chats. Happy listening. Hello lovely listeners and welcome back to the Skylight Books Podcast. My name is Nat and I am so honored and excited to have Adrienne Marie Brown with us today to discuss her new book, Fables and Spells, Collected and New Short Fiction and Poetry, the latest edition of the Emergent Strategy series. Adrienne Marie Brown's previous work includes Octavia's Brood, Emergent Strategy, the New York Times bestselling Pleasure Activism, We Will Not Cancel Us, Holding Change, and Grievers. Brown grows transformative ideas in public through her writing and art, She's a poet changing the world, and she is the writer-in-residence at Emergent Strategy Ideation Institute. Thanks so much for being here, Adrienne. Thank
1: you so much for having me, Nat.
0: Uh, We're going to start with uh, a little reading from the book, maybe a little spell to start us off, Um, and then we'll we'll talk about what's going on in this lovely little book.
1: Thank you. Um, I'm going to read from, there's a short story that kind of turns into a spell. Um, It's called Time Rebel. And it's this, the person who's writing is someone who is a part of a group of humans who have opted out of linear time. And they have learned how to live perennially and basically have become immortal. And she realizes that there's actually a value to death. And so she begins a journey back into human time because she wants the experience of death. And this is where she ends up. So the author corresponds from heaven is the final segment of this. You think maturity is being an elder human. Maturity is becoming a black hole. We who are made of stardust die and the dust returns to dust, folded into or blown over the surface of whatever planet we have known as home. And the star in us, returns to the stars, soul being the bright force of the universe. We materialize and split, materialize and explode, materialize and dissipate until we learn to die as if simply falling down over and over, childlike, until we learn to live as if precariously standing. It takes us lifetimes so very long to learn to be, but then life begins. We become our own gravity, collective bodies of soul belonging to each other. We are each other's root in the vastness of space. And one day, when we have done everything a star can do, burn, grow, beam, participate in constellation, burst beyond ourselves, we become so thick with ground that we finally learn to hold on to everything, to reality and imagination in form and ever-changing swallowing only that which is ready to be tasted inside every black hole is a heaven a state of being capable of abundance solitude magic and rest with a boundary where every construct of time stops because we need not measure eternity everything in the known and unknown realms will eventually be folded into such heaven the galaxies exist to feed gravity And gravity exists to hold life. Once swallowed, we can be present, by which we mean full on the present, which was never a moment, which was always here, in need of nothing, at peace in the glory of enough.
0: Thank you for sharing that with us. And I was going to start from the first (laughs) section of the book, but you've got me deciding which I knew I wanted to keep our format a little loose so we could oh, yeah. <laughs> move around and let let things take us where they may. So yeah. I actually, I'm gonna start with uh, the grief and ending section, Great. Um, which is something that I've always so much appreciated about your work is uh, making space for grief um, mm-hmm. and death. And you and Toshi have also talked a lot about that um, oh, yeah. on, in your other work. Um, with the parable series and, uh, with the patternist series as well. So I'm, I've always been appreciative of that and your decision to make space for that, especially in a time when we so much need it. And the thing that stuck out to me in this section were, uh, essentially the poems and spells that you had written for people that have been taken from us. Um, and I thought that It was such a. It seemed like a practice that I had never considered doing. Um, Mm -hmm. Writing these sort of love letters to people who were taken too soon and are no longer with us, and acknowledging their passing in that way. And I'd love for you to just share a little bit, if you'd like, about that practice and how it's helped you open up grief and and sit with it, Um, because it seems like it's something you've been practicing for a little while. And I, I loved that experiment a little bit.
1: Yeah, I appreciate that. I, um, you know, I think when I first started off doing those poems, kind of like the memorial poem, um, I wasn't, it wasn't necessarily even intentional. It wasn't like, oh, this is going to be a way Mm -hmm. that I do this. It really was just, oh, there's something moving in me that is so big. And for me as a writer, when that happens, I put it to the page, um, often just for myself. And and then mm-hmm. occasionally it's like, oh, no, that's, this is actually for the collective. This is something that, um, I'm feeling with other people. So, um, there's certain passings, um, like when Oluwatu- Toyan passed away, was killed, it was such a wave through the community. It was, it was such a sense of a collective despair that this could happen to one of our young, bright black movement organizers. And, um, And there's something about as the wave moves through each of us, I think there's something that each of us can contribute to the grief, um, which is hard as it is. I think there's also a real beauty in that, that it's, there's something really particular that each of us is meant to add to it. I always think I'm like, there's a reason why I know your name and I didn't know you, you know, Mm -hmm. I didn't know you. And then now that you've died, I know your name and how am I responsible for having been given this name and this story. And it's also kind of, I think of it as an altar practice. So I really am a big fan of having an altar that's kind of set up inside my heart, uh, inside my mind. I I can see it inside of me. And so when something happens, I'll be like, I'm lighting a candle for that. And it's like, I turn inward to light that candle. And the poetry practice, um, the spell practice is often a way of even if it's just inside myself, giving that person another breath, giving them another moment of aliveness and attention. I remember years ago, another poet, I I did this event for Octavia Butler in Seattle and a poet got up and spoke about how, when we speak the names of our dead and our ancestors, it nourishes them in the spirit world. And so some, some of our ancestors are fat because we remember them and it's delightful. Mm -hmm. We're just constantly feeding them. But some of our ancestors don't get remembered and maybe we don't know their names or we forget their stories and so this also feels you know putting it into the book in this way it's like you know (laughs) yeah it's a way to say even in this book however long this book goes on there will be people who read this book who maybe don't know these names and Mm -hmm. hopefully they'll read the spell and be like oh let me go find out what happened to her let me go find out what happened to him and like in that way continue the impact of their story and the impact of that loss.
0: I I also imagined you you spoke of it as a collective action too, which it it yeah. is in many ways, including the book living on into a time when people may not know their name. And as I was reading those, I just imagined a book full of poems, intentions, spells written for one specific person um mm. not even a book but even like a message board um yes. with hundreds or thousands of poems and spells and how how powerful that would be to collect them all in that way um that. and it was it was a joyous thought um yeah and then since you mentioned uh Octavia who I yeah. see behind you on your wall oh yes there's a whole <laughs>
1: shrine back um,
0: here <laughs> <laughs> I uh I'll move into the celestial bodies uh, uh, section of the book, which as I was reading through that, um, which I'm sure was intentional and just a part of how your work comes out, having studied her and spent so much time uh, (laughs) exhilarating in her work and her life that I just thought about her and earth seed. Um, And that is what that section sort of felt like to me. So I'd love to hear um, about some of the ways that your studies and experiences with Octavia's work have either in the past or how it is currently affecting your relationship with all of these celestial bodies Mm -hmm. Um, and how it's sort of uh, helping you work with the moon, the sun, the earth, uh, all of the above. And yeah, so maybe how how that's working right now in this moment.
1: Mm -hmm. Well, I think that being an early reader of Octavia has shaped the way that I see the whole world. Um, I'm constantly attending to the way change is happening, and I'm constantly paying attention to what do I need to know to survive? Like, how what do we all need to understand to survive? Mm-hmm. And one of the things I think we need to understand is the night sky, like really being able to read and understand like what is happening above us, where is the moon, Where are the stars? What does that tell us about the direction we're pointing to? And as a Black person, I think there's also something really incredible about that endless Blackness. That's the whole universe is made of all this Blackness. And it's, for me, one of those fundamental reframes where I'm like, oh, only here in this brief time is Blackness seen to be in some way a detriment or something that is a harm. But for the majority of the universe, it's just like that's what the whole universe is—is is that darkness. Yes. And Octavia's always got me thinking like that. You know, it's just sort of like, how can I turn this upside down, or how can I see this from a different perspective, and and then what new problems get created from that place? Um, I also think that, you know, she had positive obsession. She spoke about positive obsession in the way that she wrote. And she was always writing about community and collectives and sort of trying to give us both a warning and I think in a lot of ways, like a practice guide to how to navigate the future. And for me, a lot of the the ways that I write about the celestial beings is like, how do we humble ourselves to being part of this, this larger realm? It's very easy to get caught up in like what's happening here on the surface of this planet, what's happening What are the pettiest things that are happening amongst humans? And it always helps me to bring my eyes up, bring my attention up, look beyond myself. And in this section, one of the pieces I'm most excited about is I wrote a story in which Nikki Giovanni gets to go to space and basically retire there. (laughs) And, um, (laughs) and, you know, I have also drafted this story of like an alternative situation where Octavia didn't die as young as she did. And, and, you know, it it wasn't ready, anywhere close to ready to go into this collection. But there's something about this idea of just being like, what are some of the fantasies that these teachers have for themselves? And how do we manifest those, even if it's just on the page and in our imaginations? And Nikki Giovanni has given so many interviews about going to space and Black people being in space. And um, it was a real delight. Like, it was fun to write it and to imagine it Mm -hmm. and to be like, yeah, that world can also exist. Yeah,
0: and then uh, I love. <laughs> I I knew that this was gonna happen when I left space for all of these sections, but I'm gonna move into the love section, uh, yeah. which we got in. We is a perfect transition for an act of manifesting these futures for our ancestors who didn't yeah. have the chance to have them. So I just love that it's all flowing. In this oh, yes. way. But yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh I wanted to uh talk about a poem in this section that uh had me thinking about the love we give ourselves and how that is so necessary to having the ability to show love to others. Um, mm. And it's something that I feel like a lot a lot of people talk about. We talk about um and it's something that's easy to say, but so, so difficult to do. Yeah. Um, and a line that stuck out to me was, uh, it's from the coming out spell, oh, um, yay. <laughs> was come out by letting your gaze linger, your smile hint and your questions press. Um, and I loved the idea of, I as I was reading it, I imagined myself sitting at a table in a crowded room. Uh, and seeing someone that I thought was beautiful or was glowing in some way and not realizing that I was smiling at them in a way that I smile at people that I see that way and then catching myself do it and like acknowledging that desire and that love. And, and after so long of being sort of away from people um, (laughs) being able to acknowledge that feeling that and recognizing and remembering those feelings of coming out to yourself, coming out into joy. Um, yeah, that was such a, like a lovely vision that I had while reading this. So I, I, uh, I wanted to get some of your thoughts about that sort of coming out back into joy, this time where we have all been so separated um, and sort of having to remember that we have the ability to love ourselves. We can. We have to make space for it. um, When being alone and isolated may have been so difficult for some people, Um, it may not have been a joyous experience, like it could have been extremely isolating and caused a lot of like difficult thoughts or made it hard to live with yourself being stuck alone for so long that we might need to remember that we are good. You know, we can love ourselves. It just seems like it could be very difficult for some people. And that's what that, that spell kind of lit up for me. So I'd love to hear you talk about that a little bit.
1: Yeah. I mean, you know, this, this spell, the coming out spell, I think I wrote it for a coming out day, right? Like national coming out day. And this idea that Mm -hmm. we come out over and over again. And for me, it's been one of the ways I understand myself to be decolonizing actually, is that I'm like, oh, colonization is part of the process that makes me believe there's Mm -hmm. actually a very limited box inside of which I can exist. And it's like the coming out process is recognizing like what someone else told me is the case for myself is actually Mm -hmm. not the case. And I can, you know, feel where my attention is actually moving. And I actually, it's interesting because I feel like this quarantine pandemic period of history, which for some of us is, is not over, you know, for those of us who are Mm -hmm. immune compromised and living with disabilities, we're still (laughs) pretty isolated, you know? Um, so, but but that period of time, I think, also revealed to people a lot about themselves, right? So we had to, in some way, come out as being like, I have so much more social need than I understood, or I actually am thriving in this um, quiet and I'm thriving in the privacy of yeah. the solitude. And I keep meeting people who are like, I became a different person during this process. During these few years, I became a different person. I gave myself permission to be Mm -hmm. a little bit more myself, whatever that meant. And now I have to learn how to be that way in relationship with people who knew me as a prior self. And, you know, that's something that queer people and trans people, I think, can teach the world a lot about, which is, you know, like, we have to become experts at navigating, (laughs) you know, people's old Mm -hmm. expectations of us. And also navigating how uncomfortable it is when people are still playing the part that they were cast into, based on their birth, um, mm-hmm. and based on you know what their family of origin told them about who they were. And then those of us who have said, "I'm actually making intentional choices about who I'm going to be," and which is also an act of integration, right? It's like it's not like I can cast off the entire shaping of my pre intentional life, but there is something that starts to shift when you're like, okay, I was given this and here's what I'm growing in the soil of this. And I think it's, um, it's a really interesting time right now. It's a very tender time. A lot of times when I see people, (laughs) the first thing that comes to my heart is I'm so glad you made it. Um, I feel an awareness of how many people didn't make it. And Mm -hmm. again, you know, the, I think about the HIV AIDS epidemic and how many people were lost during that time and how, because it was so many queer people, so many gay people, so many people who were using drugs, so many people who were seen as somehow on the margins or disposable, um, there wasn't the same outcry, there wasn't the same reaction from society. It was just like, people were gone. And now I feel such similarity in those patterns right? That I'm Mm -hmm. like, there's just a lot of people who are not here. And we have learned which governments find their people disposable in this process. Um, And so, I don't know, for me, there's a desire to be even louder and more bombastic and even more brightly myself because of that, Mm -hmm. that I'm like, if I, if I, uh, you know, if this virus was to take me, if this virus is to take people I love, I want it to be explosive. Like I want people to know that I was here and mm-hmm. the particular shape and, and the particular impact of, of my being here and the particular impact of my community being here. Um, I also, for some reason, I mean, I, I know why it's just in my mind a lot, but I keep thinking of the protesters in Iran and, you know, how, how, whatever the threshold is, is so particular to our time and our place. Right. So for them, it's like, oh, the threshold is, I don't want to wear this hijab. That's the coming out I have Mm -hmm. to do is to show my hair and in other places it's something else. And I just think it's brave every time humans do this, every single time that we do this, every single time we come out and say, here's who I truly am. And I will fight. I will stand up for my right to exist, even in the threat of death which is mm-hmm. you know the the this part of queerness that we talk about less and less and it's still very much the danger of it <laughs> it's like there's a yeah. lot of people who don't want to see us exist and yet we persist and we come out and um you know this poem for me was it was like don't just focus on the fearful part <laughs> of coming out but also mm-hmm. like you're going to get to be wild in your desire here you're going to get to actually live out loud however long you're here we want to get to that place as quickly as possible, the place where we get to truly be ourselves and spend as much of our brief life there as possible.
0: And I think that also the idea of making something more regular and and not, um, not letting the word regular uh, uh, sort of take the meaning away from something, but this mm. poem and this spell uh, had all these sort of you know, instances of coming out of in all these different ways. Mm-hmm. And you were talking about it as well, like making coming out, the act of coming out in all these different ways an everyday thing. Mm-hmm. And that can also, like you mentioned, take away a little bit of the fear of it. If yes. you add the experience of coming out to all of these things and at the same time making each of those coming outs, no matter how big, how small, explosive. Yes. Um they can all be explosive. They can all be large and beautiful. And, yeah. uh, and those explosions will slowly uh, start to outwash that fear. Um, they'll yeah. be bright enough. They'll be big enough that hopefully in the future at some point, we can we can work to make those explosions large enough to remove that fear for people.
1: Well, and it's very interesting now, you know, like I I've been really reflecting. I've been pensive (laughs) lately. I've been really reflecting on how sometimes it feels like nothing is changing, or sometimes it feels Mm -hmm. like things are moving in a regressive direction. And I have to remind myself of how much actually has changed and how Mm -hmm. how much the culture is shifting and it shifts because of because we get loud and because we Mm -hmm. take up our space and is uncomfortable and and yet it changes everything. And also we go through these moments of regression because of the advances we've made, right? It's like, oh, you can tell that we're changing things because the backlash is coming. And yeah. I always try to see it that way that I'm like, oh, this backlash is happening in reaction to um, the changes that we're making. And those kind of changes rarely turn backwards, right? Even if you try to stuff mm-hmm. them down, um, it's once people have tasted who they truly are it's very very difficult to actually truly hard. give that up you know mm-hmm. um even if you have to go underground with it and you know sometimes that's a thing too is like come out into your willingness to actually live as you are and find the places for that
0: um and then i guess that's also a perfect segue into liberation yeah. uh breaking out of your boxes and uh There was a line in the liberation section that really Mm -hmm. uh, that I had to be pensive about (laughs) as I had to sit and uh, it was definitely a like a push and a reminder, um, but also seemed extremely uh, like an embodiment of so much of your work. And uh, I'd love Mm -hmm. to talk about it a little bit. Uh, And I know my love could never be wasted or too small a contribution, Um, which is a little bit about what we were just talking about too, the small changes and the small noise. Um, And I think that that is so much of that imposter syndrome that a lot of marginalized communities feel um, in every facet of life, in everything that they do, Um, and just on a human level, not not knowing if we're good enough, if that idea we have, anything at all. Um, But in the context of the book itself and this section and the connective threads of all of these sections, it just made me want to scream out loud every small idea that I've ever had, like go Mm. hug the person I forgot to hug yesterday. It just made me think about all those small things that felt like a slowing down a little bit. That's right. Um and that consistent reminder from Octavia and your work as well to to be in the present. Um and so I'd love for you to talk a little bit about that.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think there's something, you know, that I've learned with time and a dear friend of mine taught me. Um I was going through a major breakup and You know, it's just like, I wasted, I wasted my love. Like I just poured so much into this and, you know, I was young, it was a very early heartbreak and it, you know, I think when, especially when you're young and you fall in love, it's, there's a sense of like, this obviously is going to last forever because look at how it feels like this is such a big feeling that the feeling must need my entire lifetime to express itself. And so then when heartbreak comes, it's like, what was I doing? Was I pouring you know, all of my love into a a container with a hole in it. Like, what was this? (laughs) And my friend was like, you know, all the love that you generate, all the love that you experience, that's your love. That's yours. You can't possibly waste it. Something about that really transformed how I understood love to work, that I'm like, I'm generating something that transforms the cells in my own structure when I love. And it is true, you know, both when I have loved partners when I have loved friends, definitely when I have loved children in my life, um, what I realize is it makes me a better person in in at the level of like becoming more generous, becoming more mm. um, open, becoming more interdependent and connected with the world. And there's, I don't know, I you know I think because we live in this moment where a celebrity dominates so much of our consciousness and our attention. We think that love doesn't matter or a relationship doesn't matter or our work doesn't matter if it's not happening at a scale that yields some sort of celebrity. Mm -hmm. But from lived experience, I think the things that matter the most are when we are actually fully present in the moment with each other. And when I'm loving someone in real time, even if it's just privately, you know, sitting with one of my nibblings cuddled on the couch watching a High School Musical, right? I'm like, this love is so meaningful for both of us. There's such a clear sense of belonging. There's such a clear sense that our lives matter just because we get to be here with each other and there's nothing else to it. <laughs> and I love when I experience that and when I remember that. And I've been dosing myself with that, my, like also in my sol- solitary life is really like, mm-hmm. can I love myself that well? Can I enjoy my own company that deeply? Can I pour into this container of myself? Uh, because I'm not sure if, if this is your experience, but I think for many of us, we're taught that love is something that's externalized. Like you love others. Mm-hmm. And you know, then eventually like <laughs> someone's like, oh, you have to love yourself first. It's like, wait, hold on. What the fuck? Wait, <laughs> well, that instruction seems well, important. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. That one, that one yeah. and also that if you if you give love, love will be returned to you. The expectation of this it. Transactional like it's those two thing. Things. Exactly.
1: Yeah, it's all transactional, exactly.
0: but and then so people can walk around feeling like both their bucket and maybe the other person's bucket, everybody has holes in them because exactly. everybody's so starving. Exactly. For that love. Instead
1: of this sense of like it's actually all atomic, right? It's like this tiny, tiny feeling sometimes in this tiny practice that then if you just iterate and cultivate it can become the largest experience in your life and i also think this is a, a beautiful thing like when you sit with people folks who are much older folks who are dying and you know asking them what are their good memories what are they proud of almost all of it is what seemed like relatively small moments of love and connection mm-hmm. you know just like the routines that we got to be in with the ones we loved So, yeah, I I feel that that's, (laughs) you know, I also Mm -hmm. feel like, you know, grand scheme, love is the connective tissue of our, our world. And um, I don't think we give that enough energy or time. Like, I think we think of it as this romantic aside or something, rather Mm -hmm. than understanding, like, it's what allows us to care for each other through old age. It's what allows us to care for our children. And it should actually be at the center of how we legislate and how we govern and how we decide everything about this world. Um, Mm -hmm. And so every time I practice it, I feel like I'm also contributing to a future, which that's true.
0: And then uh, when we started, I had the intention of starting with emergence, but then once we got started, (laughs) I thought it was just as beautiful to end with it. Um, And to give our listeners uh, and all of the folks who will go grab this book something uh to emerge into after they hear this conversation (laughs) um and the section that i got stuck on um (laughs) in the emergence uh chapter of this book is something that is my my own personal issue which is trust
1: (laughs) trust is so hard (laughs)
0: It is difficult. Um, And so I loved and read multiple, multiple times um, the trust the people spell. And I was thinking about... uh, Should we read it? Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Let me read it. Let's read it. It's short. I can give this to people. Mm -hmm. This is a lesson that I have to relearn all the time. Mm -hmm. So trust the people... Trust the people who move towards you and already feel like home. Trust the people to let you rest. Trust the people to do everything better than you could have imagined. Trust the people and they become trustworthy. Trust that the people are doing their work to trust themselves. Trust that each breach of trust can deepen trust or clarify boundaries. Trust the people who revel in pleasure after hard work. Trust the people who let children teach and remind them how to emote, be still, and laugh. Trust the people who see and hold your heart. Trust the people who listen to the wails. Trust the people and you will become trustworthy. Trust the people and show them your love. Trust the people.
0: Another thing I loved uh, about this is it is obviously a collective spell because you're talking about the people Mm. in general, but then we also have a little shout out to Alexis Pauling Gums and listening to The Whales and Undrowned. Uh, So I loved that too. And it made me want to pick that book back up because it's such a wonderful book. Yeah, Um, this
1: was inspired, actually. Um, We were at an immersion, which was a emergent strategy offering that we did like these four days, four day long offerings. And this one was in new Orleans. And the guest who came to be with us was someone named Michaela Harrison, who Alexis writes about in undrowned and who is sort of a friend of all of us and and a teacher. And Alexis goes down off the coast of Brazil and sings to the whales and they sing back and she's learning how to listen. So she took us and, and had us, there was a pool in New Orleans and we took the whole group and we were out around mm-hmm. and in this pool while she played whale songs to us and then had us sing back basically like our own mm-hmm. whale song. And it was a very moving experience to just imagine that there are so many other creatures than us who are thinking about loving this world and wanting us to understand the message that the whales have offered that Michaela has heard clearly and she keeps telling us about is we are one. And I also love that because I think humans tend to be like, we're separate from everything else and we're above it all and this earth is just to serve Mm -hmm. us. And it's such a different worldview to think we're all one entity, one being. This planet is all these many parts that have to find a way to move with each other or not all of them get to continue, (laughs) you know? So listening to the whales to me is like fighting for our... Our right to exist as a human species on this planet
0: and i the thing that i kept thinking about which is i'm sure the whole the whole purpose of the emergent strategy series and emergent strategy as a practice uh again but bec- becoming and thinking small um yeah. and remembering that and um uh, experimenting with small and experiencing the small things. And so reading this spell, I thought about uh, using uh, experiences with the people you already trust to practice small uh, bits of trust in order to gain more strength and courage to then in envelop others in your trust as well. Yeah. Um, and because when we think about something with trust, usually, like you said, with love too, it's a big thing. It's if I'm going to trust this person or these people with myself, my work, my life, it is it is a big thing. Yeah. But and we and we otherwise don't think about it or don't consider trust or we don't think about trust until it's been broken. Um yeah. And so if we take, if we reframe our idea of trust into these small interactions, they will help us build a better bridge, a better boundary yeah. in how to engage with trust with others and new people and strangers and yeah. our our growing communities.
1: Yeah, and I think there's also something around like, you know, we have tons of reasons not to trust each other. And I think that that can mean that we start our relationships with each other from a place of like suspicion. And I do not trust Mm -hmm. you Mm -hmm. and you have to take your time and earn my trust. And I have found in my own practice that the opposite tends to allow for more possibility, which is starting from a place of extending trust that is rooted in trusting myself, right? That I'm like, Mm -hmm. I, I want to trust myself even if it means I trust myself to make a mess right or trust myself to make a mistake but I'm I'm just trusting myself to show up fully in this experience to be as authentic as I can Um, trusting my intentions trusting you know and the more you practice being trustworthy to yourself Mm -hmm. the easier it is to then be in trustworthy relationships with other people so you know if I'm like for instance, if I go to an event where I'm like, I don't even want to be here. I really want to be home. I hate this. This is horrible. (laughs) But I'm like trying to smile through that and just be like, I'm here because you guys, you know, I'm obligated. (laughs) Um, When I Every time I do that, I create more possibility of a world in which people are all lying and nobody actually wants to be there. And I can't trust that anyone Mm -hmm. is ever being honest about where they want to be. When I then Mm -hmm. instead, I'm like, actually I don't, you can trust that if I'm there, I want to be there because if I don't want to be there, I'll cancel. If I don't feel ready for it, I won't be there. If I need to stay home, I'll stay home. The more trustworthy I become in that way for myself, the more I can then trust the, I'm like, okay, I can trust that you're responsible for how you show up in this. And I, I'm only responsible for how I show up. And as a recovering, like control freak, you know, I really think that this helps a lot to be like, I'm not actually in charge of how anyone else lives their life. I'm not actually in charge of rescuing other people from their own decisions or from their lives. I'm just responsible for being in a relationship with them, like being loving them. And if something doesn't align, then I'm setting those boundaries. And Mm -hmm. I don't know that just, it feels, it's like, you know, so simple. And also it feels so important to me. Um, Yeah, it feels so important to me. Like yeah. I want to be, I want to live in spaces where trust is much more of a default behavior and, and trust is something we have a felt sense of, um, rather than girl, you can't trust anybody, <laughs>
0: you know? Yeah.
1: So, yeah.
0: Well, it has been such a pleasure to chat with you and there, I wanted to stay loose on a lot of the things in this book, because I'm so excited for everyone to get their hands on it and to interpret and experience all of the wonderful stories and spells in here. Um, And for any listeners who have not uh, already grabbed a copy or had a chance to look at it and are Mm. like, I I don't know if I can do spells. Like, I don't know how I'm afraid (laughs) I'll do it wrong. No, no fear to be had you can trust yourself and adrian has put a section on how to make a spell yeah. in the back of the book for you as well That's so right. i loved reading that having done some spells myself it was still fun to sort of read that and make one like with that using the the influence of fables and spells in all of adrian's work as well so For anyone who has not gotten a copy of the book yet, you can grab one at Skylight Books. We have them on the shelf, or you can shop online 24-7 at skylightbooks.com. Again, my guest today was Adrienne Marie Brown, and we were so (laughs) happy to have you. Thank you for joining us.
1: Thanks for having me, and I hope you all enjoyed and cast a lot of spells to make this world better.